895 miles, three states, two days. Six chaperones, 22 students, 42 hours. Three years in the making. Two parks, 100 stories, one internment camp, one greeting from the mayor. Thousands of fire ants, but who's counting? Experiences matter. Going places expand the classroom experience. Give them the world, encourage curiosity, embrace conversations, go on adventures, link it to your content, invite them to broaden their horizons, actively initiate social skills, implement their ideas in the planning, share stories, build relationships, make memories, showcase connections, look for the life lessons. I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm recalling lectures from Dr. Lori Edmondson, Dr. Dan Beach, and Dr. Gary Rader provided for me back when I was working on my master's capstone project at Drury University some 20 plus years ago. When I added my educational methods courses and certifications to the mix, we had these conversations again. I never forgot them. Research supports storytelling in the classroom. It also supports field trips, guest speakers, interdisciplinary projects, and intergenerational conversations for the culmination of sense of place work. That's what I do. Three years ago this spring, Brad Addison, a friend and colleague of mine at Aurora High School, and I were in the throes of putting the final touches on a field trip that would encompass a visit to a Japanese internment camp at Rower near McGee, Arkansas, a visit with someone who was born there during World War II, and a jaunt on down into Louisiana to see artifacts and mounds at Poverty Point, a World Heritage Site. My husband says I said that wrong. He says it's Louisiana, and that I'm saying it wrong, but anyway, we'll go on. A week before we were set to take the trip with about 25 dual-credit history, English, and leadership students, the United States went into a COVID shutdown lockdown, whatever you want to call it. At first, we thought the shutdown was going to last a few days. Then it expanded to a few weeks. We Zoomed and recorded audios and videos and tried to stay in touch with our students and collect work. Then ultimately, we realized we were not going to be able to actually finish the school year with those students at all. The field trip was canceled, calls were made, money was returned. We were disappointed. Fast forward. We were back in session during the 2020-21 school year. Brad was hospitalized with COVID during the fall homecoming season. I retaliated by heading to the COVID tower during the spring homecoming season. We are both Stuco partners and have tag teamed homecoming festivities for over 16 years. I guess I just had to one up him, I I don't know. Then I played a little bit of catch up on projects and curriculum in 21-22. The pandemic was still in play. We were nervous. We were unsure about planning a big trip. When this year came around and he indicated he was probably going to retire, we knew our time of putting the field trip together to make it happen was short. We did it with the help of some grant funds, local donors, and loaves and fishes ingenuity. We took off on Friday, April 7th at 6.30 a.m. bright and early and headed south with 22 students and six adults in tow. Our bus driver, Amy Black, did a remarkable job. We ate an early lunch at Tyler Bend State Park on the Buffalo River. I think this is where I should also say that Brad is a native of Louisiana. After spending well over 20 years in the Ozarks, though, his accent is a tiny bit faded. However, 
The further south we drove on 65 towards Little Rock, the thicker his southern accent became. He was in his element. His fellow history teacher, Sean Bigler, also assisted us with chaperone duties, while Cody Estes Murray, another district employee, and my niece was my personal chaperone for the chaperone, I guess. Richard Yada met us at the Rower Relocation Center site. Today, there is a monument, a small cemetery, a little bit of a footprint, and a smokestack from the old infirmary where he was born. There is also a small path and a few kiosks with information to someone who almost has to intentionally know how to find this place, which is well off the beaten track in the middle of some muddy fields in the Arkansas Delta. There's another site a few miles away in Jerome. We didn't go there this time. Over 120,000 Japanese Americans were transported to one of 10 camps in the wake of Executive Order 9060. This came after Pearl Harbor. The order issued by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave them a few days to liquidate their possessions and board a train. They could bring things they could carry. Their destinations were unknown. The victims were mostly from the West Coast. Over 17,000 of them were transported to the Arkansas Delta. Yada is soft-spoken with an Arkansas drawl. He was eager to meet with us and share his story. He has cousins who died when an atomic bomb destroyed Hiroshima in 1945. Despite his family's losses and incarceration during World War II, he and his older brother Bob were quick to join the military when they were of age. Both served their country proudly during the Vietnam War. Richard would join the Air Force as an officer. He flew combat missions over Guam, Thailand, and Okinawa, Japan. The Yada family, with Sam as the patriarch, were given special dispensation as sharecroppers to stay in Arkansas after World War II. They were the only family who stayed long term. Everyone else had to leave, it seems, with the exception of a few families who partnered with the Yadas for a while and then disappeared. The governor at the time, Homer Adkins, was a known Klansman and had indicated to Japanese that they could not own land, go to school, run for office, or have permanent residences there. The Yadas stayed under the radar as they started over and built a family legacy in the state of Arkansas. While at the camp, often 20 to 30 people shared a small space. There was no privacy, no running water, and limited resources. Armed guards stood in the towers in the beginning. Barbed wire fences kept people enclosed. Some had jobs. The jobs paid a pittance for the work entailed. The Japanese Americans were declassified as enemy aliens, Yada said. Then later, two years into the war, the government came to the camps and asked if anyone was interested in serving their country. Over 800 guys joined the 442nd and fought in the European theater, Yada explained indicating that despite how their families were being treated, these men were eager to display their courage and patriotism. His father would be instrumental in building a small cemetery and some concrete tanks to honor the Japanese Americans who fought in the 442nd during World War II. He would build an even better monument later on to honor those at the camp and those who served in the war. Those soldiers in the 442nd remain the most highly decorated soldiers in the history of our military. Yada also went on to tell our students to find their voices, take stands for what is right, and to remember that silence breeds complicity. 
Yada brought a friend with him on the visit earlier this month. Artie Van Zant was born in McGee and now makes her home in Little Rock. She is proud of her friend and his willingness to share his story and celebrate the legacy of his family. They went through so much and are still so respected here in Arkansas, she explained, calling attention to Yada's dad's reputation with plants and agriculture. The students were also able to visit the World War II Japanese Internment Museum in nearby McGee. We learned through trial and error that McGee is not a three-syllable town like it's spelled. It looks like McGee-hee. That's not the case. Locals call it McGee. Their mascot is the owls, and those owls are everywhere. We ate an early supper at the owl's nest, as a matter of fact, and it was delicious. While there, I met a man who'd spent the day at the veteran's hospital. I told him I hoped his test turned out all right, and he shook my hand. His voice shook just a little with emotion as he told me he had been a preacher at a nearby church for well over 50 years after serving his country in Vietnam. I bought their dinner and told both men I was making them honorary hound dogs. They seemed pleased. Before leaving town to head to our motel in Lake Village, the mayor of McGee, Jeff Young, came to visit our bus after hearing we were in town. He is of Chinese ancestry and is chairman of the board for the museum. He wears numerous hats in the small town of about 3,772 people. Agriculture plays a big role in the Delta, where crops feature cotton, soybeans, and rice. Al Young invited us to come back down on May 4th, when a pilgrimage of hundreds of people will converge on the area to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the museum, which is housed at the depot where the Japanese Americans arrived. Programs will focus on the roles of race, gender, and social class, and how those things combine to play vital roles in the history of Arkansas. George Takai, who was incarcerated in Arkansas during World War II at Rower, will be a guest of honor and will deliver the keynote. Takai is best known for his role of Sulu on Star Trek. There's a poster on the wall inside the museum that drew my attention. It talks about how words matter. I say that all the time. Some of the controversies surrounding the opening of the museum came from pushback from World War II veterans themselves. In turn, Holocaust survivors have sometimes been offended when the Japanese Americans call the internment camps concentration camps. Sometimes when we discuss history, stories, experiences, and pain, we try to qualify it or put it on a totem pole of hierarchy where one's suffering might be greater than another. Quite often, euphemisms about social class, gender, race, disabilities, age become part of injustice. We need to think about that. We need to be careful and intentional about the words we use, the messages we send, and the things we embrace. We need to be careful about the places we go, the people we align ourselves with, and the things we write. Words matter. Give them the world, encourage curiosity, embrace conversations, go on adventures, link it to your content, invite them to broaden their horizons, actively initiate social skills, implement their ideas in the planning, share stories, build relationships, make memories, showcase connections, look for the life lessons. I think I know what Dr. Lori Edmondson, Dr. Gary Rader, and Dr. Dan Beach were talking about now, planting seeds, paying it forward, providing the opportunity. I'm delighted we were able to complete our journey before Brad's retirement. Our activities reinforce the concepts of family, strength, pride, hope, and resilience. 
experiences matter.